You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, we all have mentioned it's, you know, it was an experiment coming out of a pandemic where, you know, you have the choice of are we yeah. just going to wait until someone else says that we can perform or are we going to like, you yeah. know, take basically the bull by no, the horns? no promoters or, you know, agents were taking risks on booking tours. So they were just telling us to stay home and and we didn't want to do that. So we did it the first time and it worked so well that we did it again. Yeah, because well, people think- love it that like because bands don't do it. Bands don't do intimate concerts where they actually hang out. That you know, they'll do sure they'll do intimate concerts and then peace out. You know, but but it's not like a meet and greet. It's like usually you get a photo and then that's it. But we actually hang out and it's a lot of fun. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and people out there in Cyber World? My name's Benny Goodman. I'm here with Corey Peza and Siobhan Cronin. And we have a show called 2020. And this week, we're going to dive right back into the Matrix with our good friend, Brock Richards, who, as you'll find out very quickly, um, was a surprise guest for himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we have Brock on uh, my husband, obviously, and uh, guitarist in Starset. So for all the Starset fans out there, here's another episode. We're going to talk about coming back from tour and some of the stuff mostly that Brock's been doing since we got back. So this is like, I, I don't know, episode probably like number 20 of Starset uh, fandom for in the past couple of months. So this it might be the last one for a little while. I think we gotta, we're going to move we away. So, 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 yeah. so soak it in and, and enjoy this chat with the one and only Brock Richards. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here, as always, with uh, Benny and Siobhan. And this week we are joined by, uh, I mean, how many Star Set episodes have we done? Uh, in the many, last like, like couple weeks, but but you get you get one more here with the one and only uh, Brock <laughs> Richards. It's, yeah, it's the third one I've done. Yeah, yeah, you're, he's the great white buffalo, as we like to say. He makes not a really. Rare I've appearance. been on here three times. That's true. That's true. He's made <laughs> this it on is the uh, the unofficial Star Set podcast at this point. So can, uh, right. we, can we can we ride some more coattails uh, from Dustin in that way? Can, can sure. we just what? be honest though? Because like we all like have crazy stuff going on, and like we don't want to not continue doing this show. So when when in doubt, we're just like, get Brock. He's always fun to talk to. Because Brock is the rare one. Like if you were to collect Brock, if you're trying to get the Monopoly piece before the mafia like fuck that shit up for for McDonald's to win, Brock's the piece you need because he's the rare one in the star set Voltron universe. But because Siobhan's married to him. She's like, Brock, I can't hear my audio. And he comes and fixes shit. We're like, you're the guest. And here we are. You're welcome, Star Set fans. Yeah, I was told this morning. <laughs> yeah, he was woken up with a nice surprise of you're going to come on the podcast today. So <laughs> that's that's where we're at. But uh, no, I will say, though, we just finished our acoustic tour. And after talking to all the people, that's once so many people came up and were like, wow, I really enjoy your podcast. And a lot of people didn't realize they saw maybe just Ron's episodes or the more recent ones. And so I said, no, we've got like the whole group there. So if you want to learn about us, because through the Star Set Media, we don't really you know, talk about ourselves or like showcase our personalities in terms of like social stuff. So I think it's really cool. I mean, I've learned stuff that I didn't know about all of my bandmates and it's a great platform to talk about it. And it surely is. And uh, all those Star Set fans that are listening, make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast because we've got tons of awesome guests. That's right. We have the insider scoop on Star Set. (laughs) Like, don't think we won't pander to you if you guys are the majority and you, you know, you're like, Brock's so hot. Like, we'll get Brock. (laughs) <laughs> just ask <laughs> comment below like we never even ask like just comment or like write to us or tell tell people at your local you know news station like brock richards for 2020 yeah that, i think we'll we should them. yes anyone i would say definitely like send in your comments because that's that uh, i would like to get more feedback on the things that people like to hear about so it's it's cool just having done the acoustic tour that 
you know, people said some of the things they enjoyed and it always informs what we can talk about. So yeah, I've been keeping up with some of the like YouTube comments when, when they do come in. It's fun because uh, I used to just avoid it as much as possible because it was 90% people complaining about Ben. But surprisingly, I think over the past like year or so, I've only seen like one or two of those. So I don't know if that's uh, I think the best sign. part of that statement is that Ben did not even flinch when you said that. He was just like, oh, okay. He said, this well, sounds I mean, about right. I, originally, I was doing this for me when we first, because I was like, this is never going to be a thing. But now that like people seem to care, I'm like, all right, well, I guess if it's going to be the same people watching every week and they're just going to continue to eviscerate me, I might as well like curtail my neurosis <laughs> so, and let people talk. So, Brock, why don't you talk? Because we've just talked for like 10 minutes and our guest has said nothing. Brock, what's going on with you? How, how are you feeling? Did the time stop for you on tour like, or, or was that every day you were engaged? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm doing great. Um, Let's see. Uh, Siobhan woke me up today and made me go to the gym and is now making me do this podcast. <laughs> so basically, I'm running Brock's life no, right now. But I was happy to do it. Yeah. But I'm exhausted from the gym. I'm not super athletic. Um, so. that, it would be hard to tell, though, because, I mean, when you're on stage, especially in the live show, I would say you are probably the most athletic looking one in terms of movements. OK, and so stage I would just presence. say I'm physically lazy. I like well, using you my brain, not so much my body. You have the rock and roll muscles, which is cool, man. Because listen, if you play in a band and you thrash your head every single night and mm. you're holding a 277 from PRS baritone scale, like you're going to get in better shape. I mean, not necessarily the same way if you go to the gym and like work out each of those beach muscles, but you'll get like the on stage. I could be on heroin or maybe I play guitar in a band. Look, and Brock <laughs> has that anyway, since he's an ectomorph. <laughs> but uh endomorph ectomorph moving on uh why don't we touch base real quick this is the first time we've had to talk since you guys wrapped up the acoustic tour so why don't we just kind of do a little summary of how that all went yeah brock why don't you go what was your experience uh i mean i had a blast i love the acoustic tour so much because it's obviously different than what we normally do uh and we actually get to interact with our fan base and more or less like our core fan base. So like the super fans and the people that come to multiple shows, they come to like every tour and that's really how a band really latches on for the long haul. Is just, if you have fans that are consistently coming to everything. Uh, so getting to sit and talk to most of those people, it was, it was an awesome experience. Yeah. And I will say, I'll jump in and say, I mean, Brock, who is like the soft spoken, doesn't like to elaborate on stuff, was the last man standing talking to everybody every night. And that's I think that's one thing that's great about you is like he you invested so much time in talking to people. And I like looked on Instagram and, you know, followed different comments that people people would post pictures and be like, oh, this was so great. I had such a great time. And so many people like called Brock out and was in like a positive way saying, wow, Brock spent so much time with me. I felt so special. This is awesome. And yeah, it was cool. I yeah. think you inspired I'd me. I usually turn around and like the bar is empty from like all the band members and I'm like standing there talking to a group of people. And so I'm like, where'd everybody go? <laughs> is this like the concept that like Ludacris has with that song Hose in different area codes? You kind of, you kind of <laughs> got to put down your 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 funk everywhere. Like you, you comment on things, you spend time with them. And then when you go back, bro, you get your hose in different area codes. Except in this case, let's take out Ho, same concept, and just put like, devoted fan <laughs> yeah kind of i guess <laughs> yeah that's right no but it is cool because i mean you're right that was a good thing that you said is like part of the longevity of a band is how engaged you are with different people in your fan base and the people that have been there since the beginning and like supported since early on and a lot of people when we were talking to them commented on oh yeah we go to other vips or meet and greets and feels kind of like a conveyor belt you go through and they like shove you along a photo line and there's like very minimal interaction. So it felt really cool to hear that people actually found a lot of value in it and appreciated it. And they felt more connected to the band and more, I think, more likely to continue to show up. And just like in any industry, if you make personal connections with people, they stick with you and and vice versa. You know, there's just an appreciation there and you it, it changes your experience as a performer too. just knowing who's out there getting familiar with the people in different cities and stuff. So. That's great. It's, isn't it great branding though? Because like you guys, like you're like cartoon characters. 
you know it's like oh man he's the one with that helmet and she's the one that's wearing that cool suit on the dune planet and it's like you get to meet you in real life and you guys really first off are amazingly talented and you're all very different it's kind of like the x-men but you're all in star set so like i think it's amazing branding for um you know, I know, let me guess, like Dustin and Ron sat in the, and they're like, this is a great team building exercise, first off for us as fans. <laughs> but also, if we can interact directly with our populace and our, and our main high echelon fans, it's going to help build that experience with the end user. So it's crazy because like those guys are kind of like my Facebook feed anticipating what I'm going to say. And it's like, how did they know I wanted the George Foreman grill? You guys are like that. And I think it's by walking around. <laughs> Talking to your guests, you're like VIP. You're like, no, this is going to be data collection. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's for anyone that listened to Ron's recent episodes. That was that was basically the theme of it. Is like, you know, he he is very much a data guy. But yeah, you know, beyond that, like like he mentioned, and we've all, you know, we all have mentioned. It's you know, it was an experiment coming out of a pandemic where, you know, you have the choice of are we yeah. just going to wait until someone else says that we can perform, or are we going to like, you yeah. know, take basically the bull by no the horns. no promoters or. You know, agents were taking risks on booking tours, so they were just telling us to stay home, and and we didn't want to do that. So we did it the first time, and it worked so well that we did it again. Yeah, because well, people think- love it. That like, because bands don't do it. Bands don't do intimate concerts where they actually hang out. That you know, they'll do sure they'll do intimate concerts and then peace out. You know, but but it's not like a meet and greet. It's like usually you get a photo and then that's it. But we actually hang out, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like a party unique, band. And, it, and it fits well in with with the relationship you guys have with your fans. Mm-hmm. What uh, what are you doing now? Now that you're off tour, what was what was step one when you got back? Uh let's see. What what did I do? Well, Brock is well, still building his studio, yeah. so so doing a studio build out. Um, and you know, I, I you guys know that I built that desk and um. Then I, you know, had to wire everything, and that was a, a shit show. <laughs> well, let's no, let's talk about that because I always, think this is the place to bring uh, it up. Because always waiting on cables or custom cables and all this other stuff, and uh, so it's been a learning so experience. What are you what are you wiring up? Like, so just what's what's the general overview? What's what was the difference? You know, for for anyone that that knew that you were already working in the studio, what's what's this upgrade involve? Uh, with the desk, uh, let's see. So I, I got the new desk and uh, I have the Avid S3 controller. And so I've been patching and wiring all the uh, inputs and outputs, the IO. And then uh, I got I got into 500 series equipment. So got a bunch of preamps and outboard compressors and stuff like that that I'm integrating. So uh, just trying to, you know, route all that to the, the patch bays and, you know, just spending too much money. Well, is this, is <laughs> the end, is the end game to like make beats? No, <laughs> I can make beats, but no, that's not what I want to do with my life. <laughs> cause I, cause I bought, um, for Christmas, I bought one of my little nephews, um, uh, an Apple computer and I got him a little M box and, um, already calling himself a producer and um he's gonna make beats so i just feel like what you're doing seems very convoluted well i mean we we talk about this a no, lot I'm because messing. you know well are, are you no, gonna no. do whole bands like what, what's actually going on in the brock well, studios are you are you really so gonna be putting an sure, orchestra the, down there what the i fuck, mean the man? end the end goal is to find a space uh you know big enough for you know commercial space like that uh, for like a studio for drum recording, for instance. But nah, I live in the real world, and getting a nice drum room is—it's a hard thing to have at home. Yeah, you know. And I—I I don't want to rent a commercial space and have it detached from my house. I'm more of like the the home studio kind of guy. But uh, but sure, someday, like you know, you can convert a garage with if it's got a high enough ceiling and stuff, and create a drum room. Uh, so, I mean, that's the end goal, but right now, no, it's just like a little project studio where I sub out drums. So you record those in another studio, but we can do everything else in my space. Well, let me ask you this because I'm, I'm not tuning my own horn and I'm sure Corey will look at me cross-eyed, but I I mean, I have, I have a, uh, a basement studio, you know, a home studio 
and I have tweaked now for 15 years multiple drum kits with every kind of mic and I and I finally have like the creme de la creme of mics and all that sort of stuff it's not a great room it has some acoustic properties but it's not a great room I built some traps or well not me Eric has built some traps for me and all of that but when I get my now that I've tweaked it all out and I get my drums and I'm sitting there in my studio they sound like samples to me I've gotten to the point where I go back and I play it and Paul looks at me and goes, I guess that sounds like 1984 Van Halen. I literally feel that way with a little bit of like, you know, uh, reverb and stuff. And I don't feel like I'm missing anything. And I'm, I've walked into Sound City Studios before Dave Grohl uh, got rid of it. And I actually played uh, a drum set in there and, and Elton John's piano. And it's got great sound. But I have to think that if you're a really good engineer at this point, that you can almost replicate virtually anything to the point of diminishing returns where it doesn't matter. So do you really need a giant drum room is my question. I mean, today's world, no. That's why I'm doing without it. But I mean, if you could, I mean, if you had the option, would you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if I could make my like dick nine inches, room, I absolutely, absolutely would. I think it's it's a it's a thing of flexibility, too, you know. You know, you can get good sounds in uh, in room like yours, Ben. And I have, I have a similar setup now here, where I'm recording in a low ceiling basement. Just a, was never intended. Drum, to be a drum sounds room. sick in all your records, Corey. The sick, so unless you're faking it. Of course, I'm faking it. It's all studio magic. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I can get a decent sound in what most people would look at as like not a studio. Uh, but then, having had the chance to work in a nice drum room like we did when we were down in Florida oh, yeah, working with uh, Shannon. That I see the flexibility so and the ability to, you know, that entire record I, I mixed uh, without, you know, bringing in any samples and like just being able to use the room and, and everything like that. And it's got this, this natural uh, feel that I feel like you can get you know, as with a workaround setup and using, you know, room samples and different reverb and stuff. But it's so nice to have this like uh, space that you get recording in a big drum room. Uh, you know, you don't need that for every record. If you're making like a, you know, a metal record, you don't want that anyways. So you can get away with just programming drums and, you know, layering some stuff in there. But it's certainly something to be said for having the option to, because uh, a drum room has a character that you can kind of utilize. Well, you know, um, let me clarify. Yeah. I'd rather have an awesome drum room as well, but I'm saying that there's a lot of people that go, I can't do drums because I don't have, you know, a million dollars to build a drum room and like an acre of space to make it the size of Sound City Studios. Whereas it's like, if you stop limiting yourself, like I can't do it in a 10 foot by six foot room, then if you don't, if you know science and you know how to do like you could get by almost anywhere, but I'm with you. Corey, if I could walk in and record piano like in a giant room, the key is to make friends with someone who has a sick drum room and, yeah. and a piano. Yeah, that's and that's a pool. You, just... you don't want an in-ground pool. <laughs> exactly. That's expensive. Yeah, you don't want a boat. You don't want a boat. You don't want a drum room. You don't want a pool. You want a friend. That, ben would live things. right in the middle of a neighborhood of people that have their their own in-ground pool, the boat, the drum room. <laughs> my next room, door neighbor has awesome a pool microphone. and a dog, and my exactly. dog goes and jumps in her pool. There you go. That's right. <laughs> But when you are working in your project studio, like what are you generally doing right now? Are you writing? Are, are you are you doing stuff? You know, non star set related. Like when? How do you separate your work like that? Like are you are you working on Kinda solo stuff? It. Are you working uh, with other bands? Yeah, so other artists and um, you know my own stuff, just jamming around and uh, writing. And then if uh, star set ever does like any kind of extra, uh, like what do we do? We uh, like we released a trials um, acoustic thing that I did uh, in my room, at least my part of it. And, you know, so it's just a little bit of everything, but mostly like, you know, singer songwriter things that you can get by um, without, you know, a, a big room. And it, it, and like we can pre pro drums and I've got an electronic kit that uh, I do. And then obviously everything samples, but if you really want that big drum sound, then you just, you know, sub it out. Like there's a bunch of studios in Columbus that are close to me and we just rent out the space for $35 an hour, you know, <laughs> like studios aren't very expensive anymore unless you go to like, you know, I guess the hit factory or something, you know, uh, like giant studios, but there's all kinds of places with great rooms that you can record in for cheap. 
Yeah, it's all those studios yeah. out there that have these giant like SSL consoles that they got to make their payments on. So they're like, please come in and do something because yeah. no one is actually spending a thousand dollars a day to come here anymore. <laughs> but yeah. there's a there's the I saw really how important an engineer is because when we went down and did um, the Apocalypse Blues Revival record in Florida, we were working with Dave Fortman, and Dave Fortman used to have a huge giant studio. Now he's at his house, like in a high rise in Miami. He's like, yeah, I mixed the entire Godsmack record in this room. And granted it's tuned, but it's like a back room in his place. And he has a pretty nice SSL console for like the size room. It's not like a real deal, full blown SSL console. He'll tell you that, but like, Mm -hmm. it's amazing what you can do in a home studio now. And it's one of those things where you're really, there's always workarounds, but you're truly at this point because of technology only limited by how good you are. That's true. I think, and one thing I've noticed just watching you is just like the, it's mostly about your ear, I suppose, and and knowing what you want and what sounds you're looking for and what what pieces of equipment and variety of things you can assemble to get that sound that you want. And yeah, so much of it comes down to just having that ability to hear it and envision it. That's not my talent at all. You know, I know when I don't like something or when I do like something, but knowing which pieces to put together like a puzzle to, to get that final result is is my weakness. And that's what you're great at. One of the coolest things I've seen uh, recently, you know, like as recently as just just a few years ago, people would say, you know, you can't mix in headphones. Like it, it was like you need your eight thousand dollar, you know, a, a pair monitor, and it doesn't, you know, if you're not doing that, you're not at a high level. I recently heard an interview with uh, was it Zach Servini, who's done like every sick like modern like record that's been out with like that heavy huge awesome sound he did the uh the latest billy idol ep it's got this ridiculous ridiculous like uh trajectory and, and momentum going and he was talking about how you know when the pandemic hit he all the studios were closed so he bought like a mac laptop a little like interface and a pair of uh i think it was it might have been sennheiser like hd 600 or something and he's mixed like a, a shitload of like huge hits on his laptop yeah. with headphones and then he'll go and check them in a studio like to dial in the low end maybe to finalize sure. them but it's it's not as prohibitive anymore it's like if you know what your monitors sound like if you listen to music in them and you know what you want it to sound like it's crazy what you can get away yeah, with well now. that that's the whole thing is if you have a reference like yeah uh i mean i wouldn't mix in like beats by dre because that's going to lie to you with like you know because it's it's a hyped headphone yeah. so as long as you have like a somewhat flat uh frequency headphone setup then uh you can get by with just okay so this song is like this song so i'm gonna play a reference track and listen to it and then basically at that point you can work around any kind of you know weaknesses that your headphones might have you know so you just kind of match the the spectrum with whatever your reference track is and i think you can easily mix in headphones i think a lot of people do mix in headphones sometimes they have to mix in headphones because their room sucks well don't you think that that's been a big opportunity for headphones because i mean the truth is (laughs) yeah they're killing it well i mean you you could spend you could spend a hundred thousand dollars on on reference speakers but like i mean i have two thousand dollar um akgs here and like what more do you expect sound to do in your head than these fucking <laughs> <Yeah>. headphones? <laughs> so it's like one of those things where it's it's you can actually I guess on paper get higher quality sound for less money with by buying headphones, but it's just, you know, using them as a reference. But for years people used NS10s from Yamaha, which were supposed to be shitty sounding speakers and the whole thought process is if you can get them sounding good on that that you get them sounding good on every anything. I'm wearing these Sony um, noise canceling headphones, which, by the way, like the entire market seems to think that these are like some of the best headphones. Period. And one of the things I think is crazy is because of the noise cancellation, when you put them on, it's like, whoo, and you get no outside ambient noise, which all these headphones like that's a huge thing because if you're getting ambient noise, you know, Siobhan's doing her hair in the background, that will add. You know, why is the bass so fucked up in this mix? Siobhan had to have a fucking gig in her hair but now like i don't even know if someone's being murdered in the room next to me so i have to surmise that the sound staging sound on this great. thing that's all that matters yeah, my mixes are perfect i'm just sitting there like whatever i'm like listening to like violins and then the next room there's a bloody murder going i'm like mm. it's great 
But also, it should be said that if you uh, don't know what you're doing, it doesn't matter what you're listening in anyways. So you had kind of yeah. have to right. be able to make that, you know, correlation of like, I, I know what I'm listening for in these things here. But that's the right. limit where it's you're the limit. That's what I'm saying. You, you, absolutely. You're the the first line of defense. But now you can't blame technology like a painter can't blame his paints. You can't be like, well, of course, I don't have an SSL fucking board in a room at Sound City Studios because there's that dude that was in his bedroom, like Tom Schultz from fucking Boston. That's like, here's my record. And you're like, this sounds better than anything I've ever heard. I made it in my closet. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's actually a sometimes funny, that's the vibe you need. Well, I was going to say a funny story about this. And this was probably a year and a half or two years ago. I can't remember. But I uh, there, there's a singer that I work with here in Miami. And she's um she's sort of opera crossover. And mostly what I do is like I'll play strings for her or I'll, you know, help get an ensemble together, like a little bit of musical director type stuff, work on arrangements. And uh, one day she's like, oh, you know, I'm going to record this song, but I'm probably going to send it to some DJs and like have them remix it. So it's just kind of like a demo. You know, and she's like, well, let's let me come to your studio and like, we'll just record it. And I'm thinking, OK, well, like, I'm not really an engineer, but, you know, I've got like a U87 and like some some nice microphones. And I had this little Apogee, like travel Apogee duet. That was my interface. I had what HS5 monitors like no, no, not no studio, basically. Right. Just like a little home project studio. That's all you need. No, that's actually a studio. Like, I think that's well, great. That's, That's all true, you fucking but you, need. But coming back to having the talent to do it, <laughs> which I do not, <laughs> I ended up recording her vocals and I'm thinking, oh, this is just going to be some sort of demo. And I did the best I could with like what I knew about um, engineering. And then she's like, oh, well, uh, Brock is, is a mix engineer, right? Like he can mix this. And when I gave him the stuff that I recorded, I think he was about to lose his mind because he's like, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to make this work? I'm sure there were tons of mistakes that there I was made. Part, you know? There was times when she was like peaking the preamp and like it's just like clipping out because it's a it's a digital preamp and it's just like <laughs> it's just all the way just cutting off the top of the transient and like so obviously those takes you can't use but um i mean it it worked she ended up using them but i use i isotope rx the shit i was just gonna that. say shout out to isotope I, <laughs> yeah i cleaned up everything i mean First of all, that those programs, the RX programs, are amazing. They're magic. Like that's literally the reason you can do anything at home now. You don't need all this big fancy but, studio but stuff. Be, but let's be real. If you, if Siobhan knew what she was doing, let's say your brain was inside Siobhan's brain or in her body at that moment in time, you could make those vocals sound fucking amazing. Cause like there's guys oh, yeah, they, like Rihanna's going on tour. Been, Chris Brown goes yeah. on tour and they take like a fucking awesome preamp and whatever. And they're on their fucking bus recording vocals. And it's a number one single like two weeks later because oh, things are real sure. fast. So no, there's the no reason why was, you can't use those. The equipment was not a limiting factor. And that's not what I was saying. It, yeah, it's entirely to say that with the right knowledge and the right ear, you know, just to set up how somebody records and, you know, I can do stuff without messing it up but is it the ideal situation do i know whether to add compression to this or eq like no that's definitely his forte but he took what i did and then managed to mix it mostly on headphones sitting in this same apartment because i didn't have suitable monitors or a suitable room and did like a killer mix and it actually made it to billboard for a week like the song yeah like billboard top uh um i'll find the exact chart but but i was like shocked because like it started as this tiny thing that it's like, I thought it was just going to be yeah, a like demo. pre-pro demo. Yeah. Stuff. And you know, me already being a bit insecure of recording other people, I've gotten pretty good at recording myself, but you know, so, so starting with like that. Your engineer, your engineering training wheels. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I've gotten way I try better. I teach your stuff all yeah, the time. I've gotten way better, and especially with my own instrument. It's one thing, but I'm not a vocalist. I've never been a vocalist. I've never recorded vocalists, you know, can I tell you two and, things? One, yeah. one, don't ever record the compression if you don't know what you're doing in the first place straight to like you can always add a compressor afterwards and that's fine. Right. And, and I didn't. Two, yeah. And then and then two, uh, it doesn't need to come even close to peaking as long as you're not getting tons of noise. Like don't it, have them yell and make sure it doesn't peak. Yeah. Well, and, that's, get, that's and, it. And, and then and then you're good. And then and then Brock could do whatever I- he wants. Right. No, absolutely. And I actually I did know those things going into it. But the funny thing and I had, you know, very minimal experience ever recording anything. But the one thing I did notice that I assume everybody here encounters is you tell someone to test their mic and it's like, okay, do it really loud. And then the second. Yeah. 
And then it comes to performance and time. And then they sing and they're like, yeah! When you're in a little project studio and someone's listening through their takes and if you've set it so that you're not even close to peaking, they're like, oh, why is it so quiet? Why does that wave look so small? You know, and it's it's a little you bit hard them, sometimes. What the what the fuck do you know? Well, if you're an engineer, you'd be doing this your fucking self. <laughs> Stop staring at my computer. It's not your fucking business. But I have been subjected to some pressure of like turning up the preamp by people that I've worked with. It's like, oh well, I want this to like seem like it's louder or something. And that's where well, the there's skill a button comes in. on. What you need to learn is there's a button that can actually make your transients look bigger to people. You just go Kah! right. Like, oh! Well, I know that now. I know that now. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, from start to finish, you know, not the most ideal situation. Recording in a, a pretty terrible room with minimal equipment, and then somehow turning it into something that's now on Spotify and sounds great on like all different systems. Yeah, and that experience is better than four years of audio school, I promise you. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, you probably well, learn more lessons irony. that you'll never you'll never make those mistakes again. You'll always consider that in the back of your mind and that's, you know, you can read a hundred books, but that's the best way to learn it. Well, and on top of that too, just like, you know, not that I necessarily should have said yes, knowing where it was going, but if I hadn't, I none of that would have happened, you know? So I think there was a lesson to be learned there of just like, you know, sometimes the situation won't be ideal and you won't have what you need, but you do it and you find a way to make it work, you know? Yeah, I would just say like, once the audio's in the computer, there's nothing you can't do in the computer. Um, but on the way into the computer, I think is where the money needs to be spent. So like, you know, if you want outboard gear or like fancy preamps and microphones, you know, that's where you spend the money. Once it's in the computer, I mean, there's, you can do anything you want in today's world, in my opinion. It, well, that's the thing. I mean, that's why I always say Kemper and, and fractals are so fucking awesome is because, you know, get it, hearing an awesome amp, you know, like in your house and, and getting that to sound like how you're hearing it in your house um, is a work of, it, it's an it requires artistry and understanding science where it's like you plug into um, a, a Kemper or a fractal. It's like c- plugging into a keyboard where basically all you need to do is make sure the volume isn't peaking Siobhan. And then it's like, <laughs> perfect. It sounds like Van Halen. Perfect. It sounds like a grand piano and it's perfect every time with no noise. And that's one of those things that we're getting to a point where technology is so good that really it's just about, does it sound good to the end user? Because yeah. you, there's no reason why you can't get good sounds now. They're really, I mean, and there's diminishing returns. Like, of course, if I use a Dumble amp with, you know, a U87 with a bunch of cabs and then there's an SM57s and they're all in phase and like, I can make it sound better than my Michael Britt, uh, it, you know, amp simulator inside of my Kemper. But no one, almost no one's going to notice. And there were, what you need to do to get that is crazy. So there's no excuse. And, and, and Siobhan, what I was saying to you is uh, it's you keep downplaying that you barely had a studio and you had a bad room. Doesn't matter that you ba- have a bad room and you had more than you needed for a studio. Your bottlenecking was you. Cause you, and you have this great guy right here who fixed it all, which also shows that Isotope, even if you don't know what you're doing, you kind of still can make a billboard hit. Like, so... It's really limited again by you. It's not the shitty room. It's just it's the person who doesn't know what they're doing. I'm 100% on board with you. And I try, I mean, I really try to be as interested as I can in getting better. And I am way better than I used to be. But it's it's pretty amazing how bad you can be with Do you ever stuff. think that Corey would go to Shannon Larkin and say, it's because we have a shitty room? No, of, of course. I mean, no. Would you ever I use that like as an excuse? Talent, you can make, yeah, of He'd course He'd figure not. it out. You'd never tell them that. No, but if you have, but if you have the skill and you have the knowledge of how to work around that, that's different. But if you know that you have a bad room and you also have no knowledge of how to fix that problem, then you're really screwed. <laughs> yeah, but I will just so. work, working in bad rooms. Uh, you know, most of my life, I will say that it's it's great now that sometimes I get to work in nice rooms because <laughs> yeah, the uh, yeah. the just the, the the things you learn from having to you know, fix mistakes or like salvage things are like some of the best lessons so that when you get like, you know, good tracks, you get good source material and you just go like, holy shit, this is like, I'm just going to add a little bit of EQ here. And it's like, perfect. It's like, instead of like, Mm -hmm. you know, a million little notches. I remember, I think, I think it was, um, like one of the Justin Bieber tracks, the guitar part, the main lick or something was recorded by like Ed Sheeran on a tour bus. 
And I, I read a uh, an article with with the mix engineer, and I don't remember who it was uh, exactly, but he it, it talked about how like his EQ, he had like four or five like notches that were like you know minus 30 db to get rid of like these weird ringing frequencies but then you have like you know this multi-platinum record that no one would ever know was recorded you know probably like with a couple beers in the back of a tour bus and it's just yeah knowing how to all those little lessons how to fix things is super important and it it, it gets you the, the you know the higher quality stuff makes it that much better you got to turn the engine off on a tour bus though because it's just like yeah, you just you just high pass it <laughs> <laughs> that's what i do to siobhan's audio when we record when we you guys yeah. do the bus podcast. oh i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure yeah i, I, I have my sub on i'm like editing the podcast with my sub on and it's just oh, like, it's, like, like, it's like it's like a movie trailer yeah. in my studio yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, so, you know, going back to the original question of what are we doing? So all of these experiences have informed the new build out of this studio. And it's at, like, as an outsider, it's pretty amazing to watch the difference between kind of a sort of project studio and one that you actually intend to record other people and incorporating patch bays and stuff that I didn't even know about and patch cables and DB25 cables and building a desk that doesn't have any reflection or whatever, you know? So it's, well, it's a pretty exist, massive but... overhaul. He's making a joke about another thing I don't know about. Okay. Frequency cancellation off the desk. So talking about <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. No, I think I try uh, to minimize it. I didn't get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's it's it, it's a black hole of of uh, you know things to consider when you're building a studio when you're doing things when you're buying gear you know gear gear acquisition syndrome is is a very yep. very dangerous thing and it sounds like you're getting into it with like the 500 series stuff. Um, I, I I'm hesitant to to get too deep into that because I'm kind of going through the same thing myself. Uh, except I'm not using 500 series things because I figure that limits me to only the rack space I have available. And if I get a 500 series, I'll get 20 more pieces of gear. Uh, and it'll be, you know, by 500 yeah. series for our, yeah, for our listeners and viewers. That's the dangerous thing. That just, uh, if anyone's ever seen like a rack, you know, it's these long piece, pieces of gear like this that go and you, you see them stacked in a studio. 500 series are like uh, basically like miniature versions of th those pieces of gear so you can fit more uh, into a smaller space. Therefore, you can spend a lot more money <laughs> and, and fill your studio but with then more it's things. Also, it's also kind of like you can travel with it. Yeah. You know, like you can bring your entire in, like input rig anywhere you go. That's why I went 500 series. Well, all right. Now you've made me justify it. I'm going to buy some 500. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so with with that you know you, you got the studio that you're building and uh you know that's probably going to be an ongoing process i imagine you know for the foreseeable future sure. uh aside from that you know when you get back from tour like how are you spending your days uh yeah just like different like little i know i'm a hobbyist so i do a little bit of everything man like i don't and it changes all the time uh so what it's usually in between mostly audio stuff uh usually when i get home from tour i have a couple of days of uh being a total piece of shit and not getting off my couch and you know playing video games or going to all my favorite food spots you know but uh and seeing friends but uh yeah just like uh whether it's you know some kind of audio stuff woodworking i just actually uh me and my my 91, 91 year old grandpa just went and we bought a new table saw for our uh, our wood shop. Pretty excited about it because it's like a like a real big boy table saw. You should totally check out my buddy and, and and Corey met him back in the day. He had a crazy idea for a television show that just wasn't going to work. But his name is uh, it's he has a show called Woodworking with Tommy Mac, and he replaced Bob Vila, um, and he. He's like one of my friends. I met him years ago as a salesperson for for Circuit City. He was a dick. He treated. He drove me nuts. But I was so like meticulous with him. He came in the next day with Cuban cigars to thank me for like not like <laughs> punching him in the face, even though he's bigger than me. Um, and he's one of the greatest builders ever. In fact, they did a discovery show on him where he went into RISD, uh, the Rhode Island Institute, mm -hmm. to go get this like twenty million dollar for. Uh, 14 or 15 foot tall cabinet 
that like nobody believed that any artisan could like make something of this caliber anymore and he recreated it just like took it apart and like recreated this fucking thing he can build anything and he teaches how to build like i actually uh, it's so sad but underneath like over here in my house i have a babinga um he made this it's beautiful it's there's no glue or anything it's all with like joints and it's, it's insane how it is but it's a, a giant babinga bench and i have just a bunch of boxes and shit on it because i'm I, i'm i'm a hoarder and i have no space for anything <laughs> but like go look up woodworking with tommy mack and you'll love that guy because he just is like here brock here's how you build anything you want to fucking do and i guarantee that you'll know how to do it especially with a table saw yeah, I mean, I'm I'm learning stuff every day. And I believe in you, know, you, man. I'll definitely check that guy out. Yeah, we're we'll working have to with send Tommy a, Mac. A, a picture of the desk so that you can. I, I don't know if it's too late to put it in the show, but you can show it off. So I've got videos of you making it and all that stuff. So that's that's been Brock's together. main project. It was, it was, yeah, it took way too long, mainly because I didn't have the tools that I needed to do it. You know, so you always have to have a workaround. So. You should put spalt maple veneer over the whole top. <laughs> What is no. that? <laughs> Just make to make it look like it's live, like wood. No. Yeah. Yeah. Just one With more the, thing. Uh, Just cut a two millimeter uh, piece of wood and put it over the entire top. Is what I'm asking him to do. I think you should do contact yeah. paper. Contact paper. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a real classy look. Uh, with all the woodworking and the music and all the, all the things that kind of come together, have you ever thought about and uh, doing any like guitar building? No. No, <laughs> that's, that's a hard that no. I got a buddy that builds guitars and like, and he's a really good luthier. Um, but it's too, there's too much mathematics involved of like, and and I'm too much of a perfectionist. So like, I just think it would go horribly south, uh, real quick because you know I'd want it to have that RG wizard neck type action, and. You know, I would never make anything that straight. <laughs> Somehow you made a yeah. desk, so I don't know about that, but no. But, but he's totally right because if you go up like these compound radius fretboards, like, do you know what a compound radius is? It's because if you start down here, it might be like three inches around, and up here it's like two inches and three eighths, and like it does ace an asymmetrical or even not as uh, uh, or asymmetrical. Asymmetrical, asymmetrical, uh, kind of carve, so you can get that feel. So when you get up here, it's a little bit more buttery than down here, where it's like the big cowboy chords, and it's a you know. And are you gonna do a twenty-five-five scale radius or like a twenty-seven baritone scale radius, or keep it like? Are we doing twenty-four frets? It's way too many mathematics to get it perfect, and then it's like, but do you get true temperament frets because that mathematically means it's always in tune, or do you get the Evertune bridge, which looks disgusting but works perfectly, but then. It's, I'd rather someone else do it. Yeah, well, speaking of Evertune, you did yeah, just, just get got a some, couple of those. Yeah. They work awesome. Uh, yeah, the uh, so I got home from tour and was able to pick them up from uh, the shipping uh, place because uh, they came in while I was out on the road. But basically, I hit up Evertune saying I was interested in their their stuff and their, one of the reps got back to me and uh, they said, hey, man, like we'd love to you know work with you. So... I sent them two guitars and and they sent them back and I mean it's it's a pretty incredible piece of engineering <laughs> and it's pretty awesome and like everybody's like yeah but you can't bend I'm like bending so easy you just like you pop your tuner peg up to the right below the threshold so then when you bend you can get your bends in and then pop it back down and you're perfectly in tune for uh, for our, our listeners and yeah. viewers can you just give a quick uh, summary of what an Evertune system is Okay, so an Evertune, basically, I, I tune low. That's why I wanted to use one. Um, so when I get to my really low tuning, the strings are very slappy. So they go sharp a lot um, because they're so loose uh, for the low tunings. So basically, if you get an Evertune, what it does is it will adjust the tension of the string so it doesn't go sharp. It keeps the same tension whether you're bending the string and adding tension to it. It'll relieve the the saddle and basically keep that guitar in tune. So you can't. So if you're jumping around on stage, you can't pull chords out of tune. Um, if you're tuning low, it'll help with you know the 
that low octave down E string going sharp. <laughs> well, that's um, one of the things I've been saying forever. So I, one of the reasons I love my um, my Buckethead baritone guitar is it's a 27-inch scale, which is humongous. But then when I play stuff, it's like, ah, oh, so in tune. My hands are like this. Huh. But the Evertune bridges, I mean, it's... So for me, it's kind of like ha- like someone like smiling with braces. I don't like the look of it because I like vintage guitars. But then again, yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've recorded and I'm like, oh, because especially when you're like playing a six string guitar, like people get eight strings guitars because they're like set up for that. Like I just say tune down lower. But when you use different gauge strings and all that, the tension does become a problem. And even with our my buddy Hector, he's playing bass over in Mexico. He had to detune his guitar, his bass guitar string. And he was going sharp all over the place because he was digging in. And I had to melodyne that whole fucking track because, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And there's nothing you could do about it on a normal bass. So that's such an incredible invention and I, I will not shit on it. I think it's incredible and I, and I think I want all my guitars to have it. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm more like, uh, you know, if I had to choose, I would choose to play live without an Evertune in the studio. Like if you're just doing rhythm guitars, just throw an Evertune on it and then you don't have to worry about it. Everything's perfectly in tune for the recording. Um, if you want that mus- musical vibe though, you can't use an Evertune. Like that that perfect imperfection of being like a true player, like that's what it would take away. Um, so certain things, like you wouldn't play jazz with an Evertune. You wouldn't play a lot of, you know, even some like proggy stuff. If there's a lot of lead stuff, you wouldn't use an Evertune, uh, at least on those strings. Are uh, you saying don't hate the player, hate the Evertune? <laughs> well, sometimes if they use an Evertune, I guess. But. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they're they're great in so many ways. I I put them on my super low tuned guitars because that's that's a struggle that I've had live is you know just slappy strings, and I I use so I usually used uh, on my low string on my seven string I use an eighty gauge. That's like what uh, that'd be like the second string on a bass or. Maybe the third. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not a bass player. Um, but basically, it's on way too big. Yeah. It's way too big of a string. That's wild. You know? So it, it kind of makes it, go, it, and it It goes not through your nut. Did you have to adjust the nut on it to even get that thing to go through? Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a yeah, fucking you gotta, huge string. Like, yeah. So for people that don't know, there's a, there's a nut which is a little piece of plastic or whatever that bone at the top where the string has to lie there and an 80 is so thick that it'll just go and fall off because it won't go into the groove so like you have to go and like shimmy that shit so that 80 goes on that guitar even though it's a seven string in fact just be a man get an eight string or just get a bass or a chapman stick i was going to get an eight string but i'm a prs artist and their eight string is fourteen thousand (laughs) dollars so i said nah i'll get the seven string thanks Because the only strings. one they have is like a custom or a, a private stock uh, eight string, and it's like fourteen grand. I think it's time for the Brock Richards signature eight string guitar. Is what what you're saying? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Also, well, I don't would think you, I have big enough s- hands for a <laughs> for an eight string? Mahon, but let me ask you this: If you had your own signature guitar, would it be an eight string? No. How many it would, strings would it have? Six. Right answer. Okay, elaborate. <laughs> I mean, I like I love seven string guitars. They're great, but I, I don't. I just love the neck of a six string. Well, you know? dude, listen. I, my feeling is, and, and you know, I sound like an old curmudgeon, but like if you can't play like Steve Vai on six strings, you don't need a seventh. Just tune that shit yeah. down. <laughs> like that's literally what it is like you don't need more strings like you just need to tune your guitar down and practice a lot more and then people who have eight strings it's like okay toast in a bossy proven you should have eight strings because yeah. you're a fucking asshole like you yeah. play the bass part you don't actually even need anybody else on stage you're like the ed sheeran of metal like you should get rid of everybody you should just be hitting it and tapping it as you're playing you don't need a drummer but that's toast and a bossy <laughs> that's not us fucking idiots that barely can play mary had a little lamb on a six string what you want and this is what i would do if i was going to make the brock richards like if i didn't know you but i was a luthier i'd make like a 27 inch scale 24 fret Nice, thin, and happy six string, but like long 
with big ass fucking frets so that you could play down here with your big giant six foot nine hands that you have and play that C and it's always going to be completely, completely in tune. And you could still use like a, a 65 string on it, but it'll, it's long enough where it's going to pull it where you have some fucking tension, yeah. which is why you can have a tremolo bridge on that shit. I mean, that'd be awesome. The tremolo bridge is probably my favorite gun for sure. Yeah, you uh, you can get a tremolo bridge that doesn't that doesn't have to yeah that doesn't have to be yeah. a Floyd Rose or whatever, and it actually stays in tune. And those guitars exist. You've won. Like so, if you if yeah. I could get my own model, I'd have a tremolo. People are like what? If you bend, it's just gonna no. Tell them to figure out how to make it where if I stretch my strings, it doesn't go out of tune because those bridges exist. I just I just need you to go to bat for me. That's right. Like this is what Brock wants. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, but you have to tell him it's somebody else because Paul Reed Smith personally has it out against me. And Bev, even though she loves me, I love Beverly. He just she's has like a restraining order against you. That's yeah. <laughs> she, she, she's like the buffer to Andrea, which is his assistant. And I'm, and they're like, oh, this is a great idea. And then they're like, oh, it came from the neurotic guitars. Paul's not going to like this. <laughs> so just tell tell them you just have a friend, and I'll talk like the guy on Inspector Gadget. You'll get a voice changer. Her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all the dark, like, like you know what I mean. Like I'm on like one of those drug shows where like they can't. Like, oh, I sell crystal meth. <laughs> so when are you guys going next on tour? Like I mean, like what's the next steps Europe. for you guys? I'm sorry, Corey. Did you uh, have a better nothing. question than that? We could usurp my question. That's a great question, Ben. We'll stick with yours. Uh, nothing until uh, the end of February. We go to Europe. Yeah, Europe, which has been rescheduled now. I think for the third time because of COVID. So, um. Yeah, it's it's been a few times coming. Yeah, we haven't been in like what two thousand nineteen. Yeah, the, before the pandemic. Yeah. How do you guys do in Europe? Do people like you over there? Yeah, we do pretty well. Um, no, I asked because when, like, what, Europe, what if like, they said no? It's like actually, they fucking hate us. Well, no, because there's bands like Van Just Halen never did well. Yeah. Never did well in Europe. They weren't a European band. They're a huge American band. Even Aerosmith is more of a huge American band than they are in Europe. Like they, it'd be much smaller places. But some people are way bigger in Europe. Like Tremonti and Alterbridge go to Europe and play fucking huge theaters. Whereas here, they play you know House of Blues. It's it's a different world out in Europe. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I think across the board, we do very well in Europe. Um, and in some cases, I think even better there than we do here. Um, and it's interesting. Certain markets. Certain, certain markets. Yeah, certain countries. Um, you know, it makes me wonder like what are the elements. Like Belgium, like, like yeah. you guys more? Germany. Germany's great. Germany, Italy, some of the Eastern. Like Italy's we good, did, yeah. Poland, um, I think, or Czech Republic. I think they all are yeah. really intense about it. Um, we always Switzerland, did- not so good. Those are usually... Uh, smaller shows yeah but i mean especially like when we would go to russia which unfortunately we're not going for various reasons this time um but yeah russia we always did really well and and years ago you know i mean when we our most recent headline tour which you know of course everything is affected by covid but you know we're playing headlining house of blues type venues but years ago in russia and moscow we played i think to three or four thousand people with no support act you guys are in miami right now right we Mm -hmm. are yeah how long are you guys hanging there for before you get back to the the studio build? Uh, Basically, like about a week eight, and a half. Yeah, yeah. so not too long. It's I, you know, it's a lot of back and forth. I mean, sort of switching over to my experience after tour. It's like I generally come straight back here, you know, spend a few days, but then it's kind of back to, you know, my other life of various orchestra concerts and private events and working with other artists and stuff. So. So yeah, I mean, Brock was getting his studio built out and kind of got everything set up, and then he came. I still down. got a lot of work to do. Yeah, and I'm putting him to work. Even as with my like sound the, the company week. of it, I'm not. I'm not really a business kind of person, if that makes sense. I'm a hands-on, like I use, you know, businesses. That's what I got Siobhan for. She's gonna, she's gonna handle that for I'm me. I'm the talker. <laughs> He's the one that does the technical stuff. <laughs> I, I like to nerd out, you know. Yeah. Anything I that I can nerd out into. 
Well, I mean, yeah. fortunately, uh, you may say that you're inept at business, but like, I mean, Corey and I are staving off destitution usually month by month. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Facebook Marketplace has been a really, really good recourse of me selling some of my hoarding stuff so that I can pay my mortgage and not not have to work at Dunkin' Donuts. So, uh, sorry, guys. I know you may not be a business dude, but like, I, it seems like with those focals that are, are worth more than my car, um, you're doing all right. <laughs> That's called business savvy. <laughs> or yeah. acumen maybe i just don't like it how about that i don't like business <laughs> first of like all i'm too nice for business and i know that so i yeah. usually just it's it's hard yeah it's stepped mean, on <laughs> music, i mean we all know here music is a hard industry and it's like you're always having to make choices of like you know how to conduct your business how to deal with people who you want to deal with how to build something what to invest in and, i'm more like do you know. i pay my electric bill or my gas bill <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well any, anything with music and and you know audio and all those things there's no um there's no like general price chart for how you how you you know get compensated or what you charge and mm -hmm. that that can be a scary sure. thing especially you know once you get a little bit of uh you know reputation and experience and like a portfolio it's it's a little easier but like to to go to someone and say give me money to do something that i like to do please uh oh yeah it's it's really I, tricky. I mainly mean like you know uh like filing you know for your your tax id number and your website and web design and logos and you know whatever else promoting yourself promoting and, it and getting yeah, yeah that's not me uh, look <laughs> at my instagram like i live You're my life i i don't i don't get on my phone and i don't you know so that's always hard for me mainly because i don't enjoy doing it i would rather do you need but, to get an intern is is what you need and yeah Siobhan, what are you doing? That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm the intern. Be my intern. We're each other's interns. <laughs> yeah, here's the, here's, here's the sad part is I work on my uh, social media every day and I feel vapid. I feel self-centered. Um, it makes me feel sad inside because I feel like Britney Spears a little bit where I'm just dancing for nobody in a, the same room every day wearing yellow, which supposedly means help. But I know exactly what you're talking about. With, she, there's like chanting music on in the background, but it says original audio, but it's like Anya. Like, that's how I feel every single day, man. So like I when I sign on for like go live on Instagram or Facebook, I'll be sitting there for three minutes and it'll be like two people watching me and they just sign off. You could not have signed on to Sorry. your connection for three years. And if you go to live, I guarantee you right now, like Brock Richards goes live on Instagram. You'll have like 300 people watching you. So that's the important part is that people give a fuck. Doesn't matter how bad you are. They care about you. Try having no one care about you, Brock. No one cares about me. <laughs> but it's, it's an interesting discussion because like I think about when I and I don't really do TikTok at all I don't even know how to make a TikTok I've tried I can't figure it out but you know I the, a lot of the kids kids you know like in their 20s or whatever it's like I see it's like they're doing these videos every day and I'm sort of looking at this and thinking okay here I am I'm a musician and I'm trying I'm building a product of some sort and you know I, I sometimes feel the pressure that I should be doing stuff like that too but sometimes I look at it and I'm like but now you're sort of chained into this life of having to constantly crank out videos and crank out short form stuff that people are just maybe watching five seconds, 10 seconds. And at what point does that, do you turn into an online entertainer forever? Yeah, it's a separate, it's a separate gig to be right. a content creator. Um, right. You know, that's that's right. something well, that's that I've I always, like, I, I used to uh, like take time to like make, you know, just content for even Instagram things, make some video. I had a blast doing it, but it took a lot of fucking time and it, it and it would be like you know you get that little like dopamine hit like oh my god like oh everyone likes it it's great and it's like well all right well now i need to make another one if i want and that's another like you know weeks worth of work or i could have clients come in i could work with people i could play gigs or i could do the things that i i like to do anyways and it's like not that internet broadcasting yourself clout but you know that's what i want to do so it's, yeah. it's weird to have that, like, if you want to do it that way. And then then you see the people that do both and you're like, fuck them. What do they have, like, unlimited motivation? Like, I don't understand that. But 
<laughs> well, that's what I was yeah. confused by, Corey. Because like with Britney Spears, like I was always, I always was informed, don't do for free what you get paid to do. But then she's dancing in front of her camera every day and kind of singing along with Nine Inch Nails. And I'm like, but why are you doing that for free? And she just does it every day and does the same thing. I don't know if she should be and a I, role model for you, Ben, but I think well, that... Well, here's a crazy <laughs> thing, she, dude. She's so a listen. different study, though, but go, go ahead, go ahead. Well, well, so have you guys seen the the Netflix documentary like about Britney Spears, like with her conservatorship and all of that? I saw, I watched part of it. I didn't finish it, but... It's, am, it's amazing because like she was literally a slave. Like She wasn't allowed to do anything. She and was a slave all for you. She said that she was... That, that, <laughs> She was crazy. I'm talking. I'm talking about. She couldn't make phone calls. Her dad would have to legally mandate her to be home by nine o'clock, and the police would go collect her during her height of her fame. She made no decisions for herself, and everyone was like, "Free Britney!" And I watched this documentary, and I'm like, "Holy shit! This is the most scary, hell, crazy science fiction movie that's actually happening to somebody." And then now you go onto her Instagram. She's genuinely gone out of her mind, and you're like, "Holy shit! Maybe her dad." She started conservatorship and make her a slave again because she's doing some crazy. She's just like bicycling around in her underwear around the neighborhood. Like she's got like makeup problems. Like she, I don't know how she ever danced professionally because it's, bro, she needs, it's crazy. My whole life has changed because of that. I just want you to know. Go go watch Britney Spears and read the comments. And I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm saying like, it's like watching the most insane car crash I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how we uh, ended up here, but the show's yeah. over. Uh, well, I mean, what did we get from this podcast? We got, we need to help Brittany. <laughs> well, I think we need to trust that Brittany, as a free person, may or may not be crazy. We cannot say for sure because we can't be in her head. She is no, doing her some te- wild her teeth dances are on receding. No, her teeth are receding. I've, I noticed this in a lot okay, of the ben, comments. I'm more concerned about your involvement in Britney Spears' Instagram than her actual Instagram. I wasn't Instagram. involved until I, <laughs> I, I saw what was going on, and then I became concerned. And then I started reading the comments, and then I was completely enthralled. And I can't help but just, because I watched that thing, and I, for a very long time, said, shame on all these people that have been in Britney Spears' life, life and have taken away these liberties that should be given to anybody. And now I've yeah. gone on to her page, and I'm like, what drugs are is she literally on? And holy shit, because her husband's posting completely normal pictures every day. I'm confused. Well, we'll, we'll never know because once again, Instagram and TikTok are not reality, and every person is different in that regard. I don't know. It's, Why are her videos all in the same room, Siobhan? I don't know. It's a good question. We should have a whole episode on Britney Spears. We can have a panel discussion about it. Yeah. Well, if you're uh, if you're listening or watching this, why don't you comment below on how fascinating this topic is right now? And if no, we- uh, no, Corey, I fucking <laughs> shit you not. Just do me a favor for the next 2020. Go onto Britney Spears page for 10 minutes today and just go, just walk around, watch around, just go through a few posts and read anything and watch what she's doing and tell me that this is not legitimately mystifying. I'll, I'll consider doing that at some point. Uh, <laughs> but right now I need to get ready for a gig. So I think we got to yes. wrap this up. All right. Brock, thank you as always for being an unwilling <laughs> participant in our podcast. It's, yeah, it's dude, a pleasure. I'm, I'm here to waste everybody's time. It's, it's all good. <laughs> Just Brock, let me know when I can waste more people's time. I will close out the episode by saying that Brock looked at me today and said, I'm helping you out. I need to eat before this episode. And we, I like had to order Uber Eats like right away because I'm like, oh my gosh, we haven't eaten yet today. And Brock is going to be grumpy if we don't eat. So, <laughs> Well, she made, she made me go to the gym. I was hungry after I got out of the gym. I know how to cook, but I don't know how to keep groceries in my fridge. So that's the bigger problem. Yeah. Sort of well, like my audio problems, except I was just I, trying to feed us. Okay. Go with uh, right. go with Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh is my plug, or, or any right. of those other things. I like those because they just send you the exact ingredients you need, and you don't have to buy all these things you throw away at some point. Dude, three bur- three burritos <laughs> for ninety nine cents in the freezer, and one of those burritos is enough. All right. <laughs> that too uh guys ch- check out starsetonline.com for the uh the upcoming tour dates in europe and uh brock anything else you want to let people know about uh no no this, I mean, but uh, stay tuned for his studio yeah. build out we're gonna hopefully get yeah, the trying business to get something going. Up and going any thoughts on the ukraine conflict you want to pump in before <laughs> no, <I'm just> um, <laughs> we appreciate your time man and uh we will uh, we'll talk to you guys soon 
Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 66, featuring John Denae of Anthrax and Shadows Fall. Check it out. These legends, like the, the first few days of Ozfest, I was having amp problems. And I just kept fucking blowing my amps for some reason. I don't know why. Nobody could figure it out. And even... All the techs are like, Iron Maiden's like, I don't even want to plug in my shit after watching you. Like, they're afraid to <laughs> use the power. Yeah. And uh, so I was having problems, and, and uh, Zach Wilde was just like, hey, man, you can use my stuff if you need to. Like, Whoa. So <laughs> I did a couple of gigs on Zach Wilde's uh, rig. Just, you know, insane. Uh, I, I mean, he's... If you told me that when I was 12, I would, there's no way I would believe that I would ever leave. Never mind play through or meet him, but then be on the same stage and be able to have that chance. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time. A secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.